1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to This is Catholicism on member-supported Restoration Radio. I am your host, Jason Guardiano, and on this episode, I'm joined by Father Philip Eldrager. Welcome Father, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And once again, we are still in the same section in the Catechism, which is part one on faith, chapter two, the chief Truths of faith in the ninth article. We invite you to follow along. If you have the book, the link to the, the link to the PDF is in the episode notes. Uh, we'll continue from question fourteen, Father. Yes. From what do we learn that Christ has appointed Saint. Peter to be the supreme head of his church? Well,
0: as the book says, we learn it from this, first, that Christ built his church upon Peter as upon the true foundation stone. Second, that he gave him, in particular, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And third, that he commissioned him alone to feed his whole flock. This is quite quite an enormous question. It covers a great deal, and a lot of it is very topical, especially with Protestants. Uh, th- these are the points that are brought up in this question is something that is very topical, and Protestants will very often speak about those as things that they don't believe in. So I, I think it's, it is important to, to dissect this question a little bit more. And the, the first, well, I guess we'll go by sections, the first part of it that Christ built his church upon Peter as upon the foundation stone is something that is really the heart and soul of Protestantism is that Christ, according to the Catholic teaching, instituted a church to which all men must belong and that church is founded upon St. Peter and his apostles as the authority of Christ. And that is something that Protestants do not agree with and will not accept. But once again, it's a question of their sola scriptura, the scripture alone. This is right in in sacred scripture. We read in St. Matthew, and the book quotes it here, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So this is sacred scripture, and we learn from sacred scripture that Peter is the rock, and that the church is founded upon him. And there are quite a few important things to note about this this one little statement of Christ, Thou art Peter and upon this rock. Uh, One thing that we can notice, first of all, is that At this moment, St. Peter is given his name of Peter before he was Simon, son of John. And so he is given the name Peter at this moment by our Lord. And any time in sacred scripture that someone is given a name by God, it is for a specific purpose. So we have the idea of Abraham. He was given the name Abraham at the time of the promise. Of Isaac, his wife Sarah was given her name at the time of the promise of Isaac. Okay. Jacob became Israel; that was his mission. Uh, the Gideon received his name. So, all throughout the Old Testament, various persons who received a special mission from God were given a special name that had something to do with their mission that they were supposed to accomplish. And so in this case, we have Simon, son of John, being given the name of Peter, the rock. And upon this rock, Christ will build his church. And there, because this this one statement is so destructive of the whole Protestant system, they've thought of all sorts of ways to try to explain themselves out of it, none of none of which really have any merit at all. But uh, one of them is that rock can be understood to mean a little pebble, so therefore Peter is just a pebble, and Christ is talking about some other random rock that happened to be in the neighborhood, and that that's just ridiculous. <laughs> there, there are many, many outlandish and even absurd arguments that the Protestants have come up with to try to talk themselves out of this because it is a statement directly in Holy Scripture and it destroys the Protestant system. And so if they admit this this one phrase, they have to become Catholic. And we can draw also to this idea, the thou art petered upon this rock, the parable of our Lord, which speaks of the house built on sand, and how the foolish man builds his house upon sand, the wise man builds his house upon a rock, and this is the church of Christ which he is building on this earth, on the faith of St. Peter, the rock. So it's a very important passage, and it is very decisive and definitive as to the authority of St. Peter and his role in Christ's church. So then on to the, the, the second uh, point of the, the question that uh, to St. Peter was given, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that, that again is from the same incident, St. Matthew, And I will give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind upon earth, it shall be bound also in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose upon earth, it shall be loosed also in heaven. This is, again, part of the same. So, just after Christ has given St. Peter his new name, his special mission, Christ then goes on to explain that mission to him I will give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And lest there's any doubt about what that means, our Lord then goes on to say to St. Peter what that means, that whatever you shall bind upon earth shall be bound also in heaven. And so that, that is very important. It shows the, the mission of the head of the church, the Pope, the successor of St. Peter, to truly rule and to have power over the faithful. And again, this is something that if Protestants admit it, then they have to become Catholics. And so it's a very uh, difficult topic for them to to accept, but at the same time, it's right in sacred scripture. They can't can't deny it. And something that it shows is giving a divine power to, to bind on earth, to be bound also in heaven, And this divine power is given to to a man, to St. Peter. And this made me think of the the gospel that we had yesterday, the Feast of St. Mary Magdalene, where all of the Pharisees were surprised that our Lord would forgive her of her sins because they they said even right there that only God can forgive sins. But Christ forgave the sin of St. Mary Magdalene and that was something that was very surprising to, this, to the Pharisees. But what he is doing here is giving that same power to his apostles, to St. Peter. Whatsoever thou shalt bind upon earth shall be bound also in heaven. So that's a, a very important passage in sacred scripture regarding the church in general and St. Peter and the Pope in particular. So then the, the third section of the question that Christ commissioned St. Peter alone to feed his whole flock, this relates in a special way to the idea of Christ as the Good Shepherd. So you have the Good Shepherd who, as Christ himself said, would lay down his life for his sheep. And that is a reference now after the resurrection to the parable that Christ is the Good Shepherd he is about to leave, he is going to ascend into heaven and he will no longer be f- present in, in his personal form, a- as, as he was during his public life, to direct the apostles, and so he is now entrusting the care of his infant church to St. Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. So that is a very important, another very important Text in Sacred Scripture for both the authority of the Pope and the argument for the continuation of the Church after the death of Christ, which is what we've been discussing in this article. And so we have very close to this in Sacred Scripture, the, the passage regarding the feeding of lambs and feeding of sheep, we have the promise of our Lord to be with his church all days, even to the consummation of the world. And so he is, in this, in this passage of sacred scripture, he is passing on his authority to St. Peter to govern in his stead as he leaves this earth. He's about to ascend into heaven. So he gives his authority to St. Peter, and he promises to be with him and the
1: church until the end of the world. Question 15 follows, what facts are there to confirm us in our belief that Peter was appointed by Christ to be the supreme head of the church? Well, we have the, the catechism
0: answer, first of all, that we'll go through. These, these facts, that after Christ's ascension into heaven, Peter, first of all, really exercised the office of head of the church, and second, that he likewise was always acknowledged by the church as the head of the apostles and the pastor of the whole flock of Christ. So in this, in this question, the, the fine print that is given afterwards is very important, and it gives instances of this, that, as the question says, that St. Peter really exercised, the office of head of the church, and that he was always acknowledged to be head of the church. And so we have, as the fine print says, as often often as something of importance was to be decided or executed, Peter arose first and acted as the head of the rest. So we have examples of this, the election of Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace Judas, the Feast of Pentecost, St. Peter went out to preach to the the crowds of the Jews, and then the contention about receiving heathens into the church, St. Peter received the vision, St. Peter went to the others and he said what was going to be done. And so St. Peter is seen very often throughout the Acts of the Apostles acting as the, the spokesperson, the head of the Apostles. And then we have the final instance, which the book gives here, the Council of the Apostles in Jerusalem. St. Peter is the one who speaks for all of the others. He determines that he has the final say in the issue that came up. So then the uh, I will, I suppose, bring it up that the the Protestants always like to bring up the one instance in the Acts of the Apostles where the infant church in Samaria is asked whether they have received the Holy Ghost and they, they say, no, we have not, we haven't even heard who the Holy Ghost is. And then the Acts of the Apostles says that the apostles sent to them Peter and John. And the Protestants absolutely love this passage because, they say, that St. Peter was sent by the other apostles, therefore he was not the head of the apostles. And that argument has no weight whatsoever, because the apostles just had to decide which apostles went to Samaria, and it was decided that St. Peter would go. But to say that from that, St. Peter is not the head of the apostles and that some other apostle is in charge makes no sense. Uh, it would be similar as to say that the one who runs the United States is really the secretary of the president's press conference because he decides who the president talks to. And so that that is, of course, absurd. The the power and the authority is in the, the president of the United States and his press secretary just arranges meetings. So. That, that would be an answer to the Protestants there is that that argument that St. Peter was sent does not have any, any merit because that is just the word that was used to, to determine which apostles went. And, and that is, does not involve any sort of lack of authority on St. Peter's part. So Then we have the the second half of the question that St. Peter was always acknowledged by the Church as the head of the Apostles and the pastor of the whole flock of Christ. And the the book brings up a very interesting and true point that even the evangelists, when they enumerate the Apostles, always put St. Peter the first. And this is true even though he was neither the oldest of the Apostles nor called to the apostleship before the others the first apostle to be called was saint andrew the oldest apostle was not saint peter but saint matthew in his in his gospel says the names of the 12 apostles are these the first simon who is called peter and then he goes into the other the other apostles and that that is important that the evangelists make that distinction of giving the the place of honor to St. Peter even before his calling by Christ. He is always listed first. And we have to remember that the Gospels were written after the Ascension. And so the evangelists knew by the time they wrote the Gospels the role that St. Peter was to play in the church. And so they treated him with a special deference all throughout the Gospels. The book also gives uh, another example of the Fathers at the General Council of Ephesus, considering it as quote, a fact questioned by no one and known in all ages that St. Peter was the Prince and the Head of the Apostles, the foundation stone of the Catholic Church. End quote. So that, that is something that we see all throughout church history is this acknowledgement by the church that the head of the apostles, Saint Peter, and his successors, are the true the authority of the church on earth. And there is another famous quotation of Saint Augustine that Rome has spoken the matter is finished. There is is no longer open to discussion. That was in regard to the Pelagians. But that is a famous quotation of St. Augustine that once the Pope speaks on an issue, the successor of St. Peter, the issue is no longer open to discussion. And this is part of the infallibility of the church, which we will discuss later, but it was also defined much later once it started to be denied by the heretics. So other instances of, of that idea in, in, uh, in church history or another instance of that is the Council of Chalcedon, the Council in 451. The, it was convened in the East, the Pope was not able to be personally present. It was in Constant- Chalcedon, which is near Constantinople, and the Pope was in Rome. But his legate, he sent legates to the council with a letter to read to the, to the bishops assembled. And the bishops said, and it claims together, that Peter, St. Peter the Apostle, has spoken to us through Leo who was the Pope at the time, St. Leo the Great. And so that, that is an instance of that as early as the, the fifth century of bishops acknowledging altogether that the Pope is the, the true head of the church. And so that, that shows the, the Catholic belief in the authority of the Pope as supreme head of the church. So we see it in sacred scripture, we see it in tradition that there was a special authority granted to St. Peter and to his successors, and that is the, the
1: papacy, the, the head of the church on earth. So now with question 16, I suppose this could be another Protestant objection that of St. Peter that was the supremacy of... head of the church to cease after the death of St. Peter? Yes, this is
0: a a question that Protestants will raise, but the answer is no. The supremacy of the head of the church was not to cease at the death of St. Peter, and there are several reasons given for that, well, two reasons actually. For first, if the church was to continue as Christ had established it, the rock also on which he had built it, and the supremacy of a head which he himself had ordained to govern it were to continue. And second, if a visible head was necessary when the church was still small and there were none or but few heresies, it was so much the more indispensable afterwards when the church was spread and heresies and schisms were multiplied. So we see, as we have been discussing in this past article, the nature of the church and we have seen that the church was to continue after the death of the apostles and so too if the church was to continue so too was her form of government to continue there must be the office of the supreme head of the church which christ established in saint peter and so yes we cannot say that the after saint peter that was it because of course we must remember the promise of Christ to be with his church for all days, even to the consummation of the world. And if he was to essentially abandon the church after the death of St. Peter, that would be to go back on his promise, and that would make the church really to be not a divinely established church, that the founder of the church, if he were to go back on his solemn promises, would mean that he were not God, which is not the case. So Christ founded his church and he established a hierarchy to govern his church and that was to continue until the end of time. So also we must remember that Christ uh, sent his apostles to preach the gospel to the whole world. The apostles themselves could not and did not go throughout the entire world speaking to everyone. They went and did as much as they could, but really the whole world, so to speak, was not evangelized for many centuries. You can think of remote parts of Africa or Asia, Japan, China, even the United States. The apostles did not come to Florida in the United States to here where we have the seminary now. They never came. They went as far as they could in Europe. Uh, St. Thomas went even into India. So the apostles did go out over much of the known world, but they were not able to preach the gospel to every living thing as Christ commanded. But we must understand that command to include the successors of the apostles, the, the Catholic Church, her bishops, and missionaries. And so, just as the the command of Christ to go out and preach to every living thing was to be realized over time, so too his promise to be with, with you or with us all days, even to the consummation of the world, means his church. And so Christ is with his church and he has given that church his protection and appointed a form of government for her throughout the ages.
1: Well, thank you for joining us on another episode, Father, and we'll uh, look forward to the next one.
0: Thank you. I have, it has been a pleasure to be here. I hope that people gain some fruit from listening to our episodes. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to novusordowatch.org. That's novusordowatch.org.